Hi, I'm Jim Park. Welcome to this HTT Leadership Insights podcast. On this episode, Paul Cruz of Thermoking walks us through some of the hurdles industry will need to overcome to make electric reefers a reality. Paul is the Strategic Insights Leader at Thermoking, and he's right in the thick of things when it comes to electric TRU development. We also have a video podcast episode with Paul. Be sure to check that one out if you haven't already seen it. But before we dive into electric TRUs, remember to follow and connect with us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode of HTT Leadership Insights or HTT Talks Trucking. My conversation with Paul begins right after this word from Thermoking. This episode is sponsored by and produced in partnership with Thermoking. Thermoking's mission is to improve quality of life. That's why they constantly innovate to find increasingly cost-effective ways to ensure that passengers and temperature-sensitive goods make it to their destination safely and efficiently. Their commitment to sustainability extends to the environmental impacts of their people, products, operations, and services. Thermoking invented transportation refrigeration in 1938 and will help keep your fleet on the move. Hi there, Paul, and welcome to HTT Talks Trucking's Leadership Insight Podcast. Good to have you aboard. Hey, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me back. We went over some of these things in the uh, video portion of the podcast, but we'll dig a little bit deeper here. One of the questions I wanted to start with, we sort of went over earlier, and that's about the buy-in considerations for fleets uh, thinking about switching over to battery electric. There's going to be some regulatory pressure coming eventually, uh, possibly even some pressure from some carrier customers uh, urging them to go green. Does early buy-in make sense at this point in time? So, you know, we don't like to usually drive decision-making based on the fact that customers are going to be forced to adopt stuff based on regulation. But in this case, regulation is largely, I believe, what's going to drive initial adoption. There's certainly going to be a sprinkling of sustainability initiatives that are going to drive uh, some early trials, but largely that won't drive wholesale adoption. What will eventually drive it to the benefit of everybody is uh, a solid return on investment, um, you know, and a good total cost of ownership, which initially is not going to be very favorable, largely because of the high upfront costs. Um, we we do expect subsidies to help lessen some of that upfront cost, uh, but regardless, there's certainly going to be a blend of motivations with the total cost of ownership, um, which will eventually prove to be favorable uh, in our opinion and in our projections, but it's going to take a little bit of time to get there. Well, it must put people like you in sort of an odd position to be saying, we've got this great product coming, but don't buy one yet. Yeah, you know, it is interesting um, simply because, again, we're at the very, uh, you know, initial stages of technology adoption, and none of that is cheap for a multitude of reasons right now. Uh, but it does put things in a an interesting place simply because you still have fleets that want and need to try out electric units, but there's not a solid business case on the the trailer side in particular to buy one right now in most instances. Yeah, but you've got to get them into the field and ease people into it. Um, So it's, you know, probably several years of field testing and uh, customer trials before we, you know, we decide to widely embrace this technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of talk about getting battery electric vehicle production up to the point where scale starts to affect the price. 
with tractors, you've got, you know, like a four to five year turnover. Uh, and there's lots of tractors out in the road. Uh, not so much with uh, transportation refrigeration units. They tend to stay in service a little bit longer and there aren't as many of them. Uh, how do you think that's going to impact pricing over the short term anyway? So, you know, at least here at Thermal King, we are taking the approach of following the broader trucking industry in terms of technology and architecture. And the reason why that's important is, you know, electric TRUs and EVs, for that matter, really are focusing on kind of high voltage, high powered systems that unfortunately are bringing with them a brand new technology that's just now being invented. And again, like any new technology, it costs a lot at the beginning, but moving to that sort of architecture pays huge dividends in terms of power efficiencies. And if we really want to get to that end stage of good total cost of ownership and, and, and a good ROI, that's what you need, right? You, you can't sacrifice your short-term gains with you know 12 or 48 volt architecture uh, for the sake of you know, early wins, right? We really have to keep our eye on the ball in terms of that long-term, you know, what's going to be a sustainable model 10 years from now. And so as a result, you know, both our, ourselves and the trucking industry is, is migrating and developing that architecture for that high voltage systems. So with all that, we expect to be able to adopt and use a lot of that work that's being done, right? So a lot of the uh, you know, components and power electronic manufacturers and designers are working on ramping up their efficiencies uh, and their capabilities in that space. And as they do, we will fortunately be able to reap the benefits uh, on behalf of the OEMs that are basically forging the path in front of us. So we expect our progress to be to closely follow that of the fleet um, or the tractor OEMs. Um, you know, but with a little bit of a lag as they develop it and then we adopt it right behind them to the benefit, of course, of, of ourselves and our customers with the TRUs. Well, are, are you developing your own battery systems or would you be using like an off-the-shelf battery, if I could use that expression, uh, something that's sort of widely available? Yeah, I would say it's somewhere in between. Like most companies, uh, you know, you find that there's multiple stages or levels of what you consider what's your own battery, right? There's everything down to the raw materials that make the cells, that build the battery packs, that build uh, your entire battery system, which then have the power electronics in there. So there's there's multiple ways or there's levels within the supply chain that you can go to kind of dictate your own future. And we're kind of somewhere in the middle. And that's largely because the form factor, we need to stick battery packs under a trailer means that we need specific sizes. They have to be extremely durable because they're you know exposed generally under a trailer. Um, the vibration is very harsh. So we have some very specific needs that most other industries don't have to deal with. So we can't just off the shelf is kind of out of the question, uh, but it doesn't mean that we have to get into developing our own you know cell packs necessarily. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts of these systems. Uh, there's currently some debate about you know where to place the... Uh, the burden of power conversion, AC to DC, DC to AC, depends on what kind of motors you use, et cetera, et cetera. Are those options, what options are being currently discussed and, and how do you think those outcomes will uh, affect buyers and users of these products? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question, but usually is a requires kind of a long answer, so bear with me a little bit. Yeah, we've got some time uh, here. 
Just All right. Good. <laughs> so unfortunately, because it's a bit of a technical thing, um, it does have to be broken down into uh, something where you say it's kind of A or B. And so by that, I mean the battery systems in the trucking industry and, and our TRUs are no different, like we've talked about, they use high voltage DC battery packs. And for those who you know don't know or really don't care, right? Most systems today or what's coming out of your wall, like in your office or your distribution center, are you know anywhere from 110 to 220 to you know 480 volts AC power. And if you're going to charge something, generally, you know, you have an adapter for that. Just like if you're going to plug your or charge your cell phone, right? You have that adapter that plugs into the wall and then your cable that goes into it because your cell phone is using a different voltage level. In the case of you know, our electric TRUs and with most, if not all, uh, electric vehicle trucks, we are using high voltage DC, and that means 400 to 800 volt DC. And the reason why that's the case is, again, the high voltage architecture creates huge power efficiencies, and you reap a whole lot of benefits on the back end in terms of how much power does it take to do something. So it clearly makes sense from a design standpoint to use high voltage architecture. The problem is that what you're getting out of the wall is something entirely different, right? It's, it's not DC, it's AC. Uh, you, it's probably lower voltage. So you have to have this power conversion equipment, just like that little you know, brick that you plug into your wall for your phone. You need something similar, albeit much bigger, uh, for, to charge uh, our battery packs. And again, it's the same thing on the truck side. So where that power conversion equipment goes is uh, kind of the debate. So continuing on with the analogy of the charging your cell phone, the debate is, do you carry around a plug with you, basically attached to your phone, and then you just plug an AC cable into the wall? I guess a better analogy might be like a laptop where you have that big charging brick, right? Or do you count on every wall outlet has a USB charging uh, outlet to it, which, you know, a lot of us have started to see, even in my own house, I've put in some outlets with dual, you know, plugs and USB outputs. That allows me to not have to have that brick to plug into the wall. It's the exact same argument on the TRU side, right? Our equipment will require it to be charged at high voltage DC. So then do you put the converter on the TRU or do you count on putting it on the infrastructure side so that when you pull up to your dock, you already have that plug that just plugs straight into your TRU without having to have the power conversion equipment on board. And the reason why that ultimately is important is where does that cost lie, right? Do you want to do it once uh, at your charging station? Although it could be two or three times if you have two or three chargers per trailer, which those costs can certainly add up. Or do you put that conversion equipment on every single TRU that you ever buy? Unfortunately, the argument is also not so clean cut simply because, especially in the early days, as electric trailers show up at distribution centers that aren't their own, and if they need to charge, where do they plug in, right? It goes back to if you go to someone's house, you need to charge your phone. Are you counting on them having a wall outlet that has a, a USB output so you don't have to carry your brick? Or are you going to have to dig around in your, you know, your purse or your pants to find that, that brick that you hopefully brought with you? <laughs> Right. It's, it's kind of a mix, right? Like it's, there's no clear answer. And so for a while, unfortunately, the industry is going to need that flexibility. 
Um, and that's just kind of what makes it tough, right? Our choice, if I could wave a wand and make it happen, is that the industry puts high voltage CCS chargers, which is a standard everyone's going to be familiar with. It's my choice. They would have put those everywhere. And therefore, you don't have to burden a TRU with this extra equipment, which adds weight, adds cost. Uh, it's complex because now you have to have something that lives on the road versus stationary. So it's there's certainly a preference on our side, but we also realize that's not a, a strong reality or not something that's really possible, at least in the early days. That would bring uh, the customers, the, the fleet's customers into this, the cold storage facilities, the produce loading docks. Uh, if you need to pre-cool the trailer before you load it, um, you're almost going to be going to them cap in hand saying, hey, can I plug my unit in here to get this thing chilled? Because uh, I don't have the uh, the equipment on my trailer. So that's going to be, I presume, anyway, uh, the amount of energy needed to charge a set of batteries is going to be somewhat higher than what you'd need to charge your cell phone. If my neighbor came over to charge his cell phone, it wouldn't bother me. It certainly wouldn't affect my electric bill. But I could see that being a little bit different in the case of a TRU. Yeah, exactly right. And that gets into conversations of if you're allowing someone to plug in or charge off of your system, are you back charging them? Are you, are you billing them? I mean, you know, like there's there's people talking about it and there's a lot of smart people trying to figure it out. Um, no one really knows where that's going to go, but at some point that will have to be a reality. During the video podcast, we spoke about the uh, energy storage capacity. We made an analogy with a 50-gallon tank full of diesel. Uh, what are some of the factors that you think will affect the overall efficiency of battery systems? And, you know, what options do we have for improving the efficiency and for, you know, extending run times? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, honestly, the biggest impacts to runtime and power efficiency are going to come in areas that the industry has already really had its at its disposal for many years. And those are things like better insulation, better door seals, uh, you know, using air chutes for airflow, using door switches so the unit doesn't run while the doors are open. Um, right. Those are all easily adopted tools that have been adopted over the years in various, you know, percentages across the industry. With electric architecture, all of those should be used whenever possible because they have a much greater value, right? If you're using them on a diesel system, you'll eke out small efficiency gains here and there. And generally they have a pretty good ROI, but it's not really immediate. With electric systems, it, it will be immediate, right? Having a door switch on there, which can reduce your runtime 10 plus percent, even in today's systems, right? On electric, that has huge implications for how much battery you need, or at the very least, prevents you from draining your battery needlessly. So it's not just, you know, instead of you need 10% more battery, right? It might prevent you from literally draining your entire battery for nothing. So there are some profound implications there on just using what we already have at our disposal. And then of course, there's just developing more efficient TRU architectures. And we talked about that earlier of, you know, improving the refrigeration system, improving everything around it so that you can gain the five, 10, 20% power efficiency over what you have today. And we've already seen that on our smaller scale units where you're looking at, you know, 50, 60, 70% more energy efficient systems when on electric because we're capable of doing that. Um, so, you know, if really it comes down to every little bit of efficiency you can gain on electric will pay out. Um, but the power efficiency itself, right. If you can just 
um, prevent yourself from having to convert power. Again, you know, we talked about the high voltage DC and what you're charging it into. Not having to convert all of that as well will can net you, you know, tremendous amount of power simply because every time you convert power, you cost yourself five to fifteen percent. Yeah, there's always some loss uh, there. Yeah, and so if you can do that once or twice versus three or four times, there's some big gains to be had. Well, we look around today, and there's technologies out there that uh, industry hasn't adopted widely because it's expensive. Nobody likes to spend any more money than they have to. I'm thinking things like you know advanced types of insulation on trailers or you know covering your roof with solar panels, et cetera. Will the cost of the battery electric infrastructure make those other sort of more expensive improvements more palatable or, or cost-effective as we go through this? Uh, I would say as a whole, yes, absolutely. Right, those The technologies that are kind of outliers today will, like you say, be much more palatable and mean a lot more on the electric side. Um, you know, like you talked about, you know, better insulation, right? Which is really trailer construction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some kind of more radical ways to do that that um, will have big benefits. Um, solar panels uh, on top of a whole trailer roof are kind of uh, yet to be determined their utility across the entire industry simply because, you know, solar is a highly unpredictable source of power. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, but with that said, though, there's other technologies like, you know, regenerative axles, um, which of course, require braking, but could help. Um, But, you know, one of the big areas that we see that could really have some promise is power sharing with the tractor. Of course, this requires a trailer to be hooked up to a tractor, but if, you know, you're out doing deliveries or going cross country, you presumably are. Um, But, you know, let's just say that you have a tractor with a 500 kilowatt hour battery pack. So pretty much in the, the middle where fleets are designing these or OEMs are designing them, right? If you have the ability to share power from the tractor to the trailer, uh, even just a little bit, like let's say three to 5% of the power from the tractor can be borrowed or or pushed onto the electric TRU, that can save you many thousands of dollars and a lot of weight on that trailer. So most fleets would probably make that decision to do it. And so ultimately the way we, we are trying to envision it is it's a single setup. Your tractor and your trailer can kind of be married together as much as possible where you can pull power from the tractor when needed. Um, obviously, the the operator gets to make the choice whether they want the TRU to go, you know, dead, or they want to get to their destination if things really get bad. Um, but being able to just shed a few percent of that power pack into the TRU can have pretty profound implications on how much power is required to always be on that trailer. Right? You basically cover the exceptions. So if you get stuck in traffic someday uh, unknowingly. And, you know, you're out for an extra couple hours. Well, instead of always having to put, you know, several thousand dollars worth of batteries extra on the trailer for those, you know, two to 5% of use case, let's just pull some power from the tractor, right? It's not the end of the world. Um, so there's, there's definitely some things that we're trying to do there that I think will have some pretty big benefits. But to your original point, there's a, a lot of things that may have seemed crazy five years ago that now don't seem so crazy. That was a great answer to that question. Really, I my mind here was just going around in circles thinking of all the possibilities. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got a delivery route. You run it, uh, you wind up far from the terminal. Uh, your batteries on the tractor are almost depleted, but there's, you know, energy left in the trailer batteries. So now do you divert that forward, you know, help the tractor get home? There's 
all kinds of ways you can approach this. And, and what a fascinating field to be in right now. It's just a, a blank slate. But it takes a lot of coordination and oh, standardization. Yeah. Yeah. I will, though. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about that uh, with Matt Cernak in another podcast, so we'll be able to dig a little bit deeper into that one. Just a reminder, we're talking with Paul Cruz. He's the insight leader at Thermo King, and uh, we're talking about what it's going to take to make electric transportation refrigeration units work. We're going to take a short pause here, get a word from Thermo King, and we'll be back with Paul right after this. Wondering how your business will meet new regulations and increasing market expectations for more sustainable operations? There's good news. In a world where sustainability has become business table stakes, Thermoking is going all in. They're investing more than $100 million to deliver a fully electric product in every segment of the cold chain by 2025. The effort includes launching Evolve, a new brand representing their all-electric product line for the truck, trailer, bus, rail, and marine markets. That means you can rest easier knowing that Thermoking is working day and night to deliver bold solutions for a more sustainable world that helps customers decrease their carbon footprints while still driving profit. Customer success has always been one of Thermoking's core purposes. The growing demand for electrification doesn't change that fact. That's why you can count on Thermoking to help meet your sustainability goals as you transition your fleets to stay ahead of the curve. We're back with Paul Cruz. He's the uh, insight leader at Thermoking. We're talking about all the challenges that lay ahead in making battery electric transportation refrigeration units uh, work properly. Um, Paul, I think we can agree that battery electric refrigeration for long haul trucks is still a kind of a long way out, but, uh, like the trucks themselves, they're just not going to start running. They you haven't got the battery capacity at this point. What are your thoughts on when that might be possible and, and what we'll have to do to get there? Yeah. So I think it's really just kind of a matter of time for the industry to continue to mature. We, you know, we talked about Technologies evolving and you know power density improving over time, and that's what's going to lead to those kind of long haul ability, um, you know, for units to be able to run you know, multiple days without always having to be recharged. Um, you know, you can uh, ideally infrastructure will be available, so if someone stops, you know, at uh, uh, stations, you know, whether it's your you know standard truck stops, right, being able to quickly charge units, even just do some opportunity charging where you, you plug in for half an hour. That's the sort of thing that will let the industry, you know, expand its reach. I always like to say away from home. Uh, so that I, I think over the next couple of years, we'll have some really big uh, changes. And a lot of there are some naysayers saying, well, look at how many stations you have to have to do this. Right. Even on the automotive side, you're talking like two and a half to three million public charging stations needed. The trucking industry is going to need far less. But, you know, the power required from them will be far greater uh, so there's, you know, some very smart people, very good companies working on doing that. Um, you know, so it's, but the implications are that I think in the next probably three to five years, we'll see some increased ability to uh, go further and to charge uh, away from home when you need to, but it's probably going to be the end of the decade before you see widespread ability to charge away from home or even go, you know, more than a few hundred miles in a day reliably. One of the arguments that we're starting to see now on the truck side, and, and I think it's it's about time that we started digging into this one, is there are so many different applications for trucks, you know, from long haul, coast to coast, to regional, to, you know, inner city delivery. 
And it's becoming pretty obvious that the, the first place we're going to see rapid adoption of battery electric trucks is in urban delivery, inner city, because you've got opportunity charging with regenerative braking more so than you have on the highway. You're close to home. Your your routes are maybe 100 miles, 150 miles. So they're, they're manageable from an energy capacity point of view. That's really no different, is it, for, for what you're doing? You've got tons of, of medium and short distance halls where you still need to have a refrigeration unit running, food service delivery, for example. That's probably where we're going to see this emerging first, no? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, we will, again, follow the tractor side probably fairly closely, with, as with a lot of the development on the tractors being on the, those local regional uh, applications, that's exactly where the TRU adoption is going to be. And and for multiple reasons, right? It, it's not just because technically speaking, you know, the, the same battery pack principles uh, and size required applied to us as they do on the tractor side. But, you know, fleets, if they have an electric tractor that's regional, they're going to want to pull an electric uh, reefer behind them. So kind of hand in hand, you know, we'll be moving along and again, expanding that range together over time. Um, there are some... Um, you know, requirements or, or needs from fleets where they want to go even further from base to base, but those are going to be few and far between and probably require other architectures such as things like fuel cells as those maybe come online that allow extension of range. Um, but largely, it's definitely going to be the point to point, the 100 mile daily range that gets you back. Um, you know, but what's interesting too, I, I will add in trials that we've done with electric refrigeration units, it's amazing what everyone learns in terms of how their own units operate. So people think, well, you know, I, I know my trailers go 100 miles uh, every day. Um, and so that's, you know, how much runtime I need, you know, for 10 hours or whatever, right? When you start to actually look at the data of how units are used, there's an extreme number of outliers, right? And everything from, well, units get parked here for whatever reason and no one knows, or they load the thing with the doors open or they just forget to plug them in overnight. It's amazing you know, at least in the early days, how much work it's going to take to get people to understand that, you know, you have to pay more attention to these because you have that finite amount of runtime. You can't just release them into the wild and refuel them every few days and, and hope for the best. Well, some of the things that have come from the uh, the studies that the North American Council on Freight Efficiency has done is that fleets tend to overestimate their, their route distances. Uh, so when you go in and say, well, you know, I have, you know, these 10 trucks that run, uh, run a 20-mile route. Turns out it's c- closer to 10. Um, so they, they, they tend, they're seeing anyway, the, the estimates tend to be higher than they need. So I would suspect with some surgical precision, uh, if you start analyzing run times, uh, the, the chilling capacity that you need, you'll be able to come up with a system that's basically custom-made, tailored for a route. Uh, 50 miles, I don't know, 10 hours of runtime, however you guys break that out. But you can probably drill down pretty deep into exactly what that customer needs for that run. Yeah, that's our hope, right? That it's definitely not going to be a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. Um, what's nice is you know, Therm King units have had telematics equipped straight out of the factory for, I don't know, several years now. So we have a tremendous amount of data um, where when working with a fleet to understand their ability to convert to electric, we can pull up their entire fleet and start understanding how many stops are you doing? How you know miles are they running? How, how many hours are they running, right? What what are the exceptions there? What what are the outliers? Um, and, and that gets us really far into uh, helping them 
understand or design any unit before ever having to actually build or design a unit, right? So it takes out a lot of error up front. And then what we're finding is the process migrates to, okay, well, if you have a unit, let's see how you actually adopt it and find those further exceptions and kind of refine the process. So there's it's a multi-step way to do it, but the power of data up front, we found has proven exceptionally useful in our cases. Well, have you seen, like they have on the truck side, that the uh, the fleet estimates are, are tend to be high and really not as bad as they thought they were? Um, I, I would say in our case, it's probably been fairly close in terms of like distance run. I think the the difference really is in how much maybe runtime they have or how their units actually operate in terms of pre-cooling, staging, stuff like that. So it's kind of the operations around the physical movement of the unit that we're finding where fleets have no idea how their units are used. Interesting. That's going to open a lot of eyes. Yep. Well, it's going to force some operational changes, I'm sure. Before we wrap up the podcast here, let's go one deeper here on the on the customer side. Um what sort of operational changes do you think fleets are going to be, I want to use the word forced to make, but will have to make in order to make this work? Uh, right now, like you said, you've got infinite runtime. You just put some fuel in it. lasts you all week. You don't even think about it. Uh, what's going to have to change? Yeah, I think th- there's a couple buckets there. The first is certainly around charging, right? So today you can refuel your, refuel your diesel tank uh, you know, every few days or kind of wherever you want to. Um, you know, but with electric, uh, your ability to physically plug it in will dictate how you operate your unit, even in your own yard. Um, you know, some fleets are putting in, you know, two or three chargers per every trailer. So they have the ability to charge at the dock, to charge at an outlot, uh, to charge, you know, at a, at a separate staging area. Um, you know, that can get prohibitively expensive, but it, it certainly provides a flexibility. So there's a trade-off there. Um also, you know, the power of data. So I talked about, you know, we can look at how any unit is operating today at any given time. That will be very powerful going forward, but it will require more hands-on management from fleet operations. So they'll have to see, you know, is a trailer, is a trailer's power level sufficient to get them through the day before it gets deployed, right? They they can't afford to send a trailer out if it hasn't been plugged in overnight. And so it's going to take either the operators to manage that or through telematics reporting for, for fleet people to say, oh, this trailer is due to leave in an hour, but the power level is only at 50%. It can't go or it needs to plug in first. Um, so there's going to be some behind the scenes work people are going to have to do to kind of micromanage units more than they used to. Certainly software is going to aid in that, but it's going to be more than what it is today regardless. Uh, and then there's, of course, the, you know, how do you treat your units? So I talked about all the exceptions that fleets are understanding their units are used, right? So are they loading the things, um, you know, properly? Uh, are they just leaving the doors open the whole time for hours on end, which you know can either have the temperature drift or cause runtime if they're not using door switches, um, you know, or are they pre-cooling on the road? Right. We always suggest you pre-cool while plugged in because now you're pulling power from the grid and not consuming precious battery power for something that can be done while it's plugged in. Right? Fleets are going to have to be proactive in that, and just like understanding can a unit leave, uh, you know, with a partial battery uh, charge, they're going to have to understand further upstream, has this thing pre-cooled overnight, and should we even bother loading it because it's going to have to go back on the charger. So again, there's kind of a whole um, decision-making system hierarchy that 
you know, we're working with customers to help develop, to understand what's the most efficient way to get these things charged so that they're ready to go when they need them. But then when they do come back, you know, I'll give them the flexibility and architecture to be able to plug in in as many places as possible, um, you know, so that it's the least amount of pain to transition to electric. And, and that's really the core challenge, right? How do we minimize that burden on fleets to, to go to zero emissions? Wow, Paul, <laughs> you shed a lot of light on this uh, subject in the last half hour. I sure appreciate that. A great discussion. Absolutely. I'm very passionate about it. So appreciate you letting me uh, spout off on some things. 3 wants every child in the world to have an ice cream cone. That only happens if their products help customers deliver refrigerated goods. Whether you transport frozen tuna, fresh produce, pharmaceuticals, or anything else that needs refrigeration, count on Thermoking to keep your business ahead of the curve with advances in electrification, telematics, and more. Discover Thermoking's latest innovations at thermoking.com. We've been talking to Paul Cruz. He's Strategic Insights Leader at Thermoking. If you'd like to learn more about the future of battery electric power systems for transportation refrigeration units, We've got two more podcasts in this series coming your way. We're going to be talking with uh, Matt Cernick. He's the lead engineer for electrical systems at Thermoking. He's going to be talking about some of the efforts currently underway to bring standardization to this development process. We'll also be speaking with Scott Bates. He's the chief engineer at Thermoking about the regulatory environment surrounding the electrification of transportation refrigeration units. Thanks for tuning into this Leadership Insights podcast with Thermoking. More coming your way. We've got lots of great content on the video side as well. Uh, Remember to follow and connect with us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a future episode of HDT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.